1: so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: There's a high fly ball from KMOX Sports. That's us hit deep to left field,
1: and it's a gutter.
0: Welcome to the Meyer Jensen Sports on a Sunday morning. And the driving jam time! The Billicans win this one. Meyer Jensen, a personal entry law firm. Because sometimes the gloves have to come off. MeyerJensen.com Comeback pattern caught! Touchdown! Kansas City! Now, sports on a Sunday morning
1: on America's Sports Voice. KMOX. It's good to be with you on a Sunday. Kevin Wheeler in for Tom Ackerman. And I got to stay on schedule this hour. I got to watch it, man. I have this tendency to ramble sometimes. Not that you guys didn't know that, but I do. And uh, it's not going to be possible this hour. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll let you know what's going on with the Open Championship. KMOX golf analyst Dan Reardon will be joining me here. Let's just call it about eight minutes from now. uh, Somewhere in that general vicinity. And, you know, normally... You know, we'd be talking at this time on a Sunday. You'd be waiting for the leaders to go off, but obviously, this is happening over in England. So uh, they're about midway through the final round there, and we'll let you know about all the big stories, how the top of the leaderboard looks, uh, how surprising it is that the leaderboard looks the way that it does, whether it is or it isn't. I mean, I'm looking at it; it's not totally surprising, but I know that the guy that was the heavy favorite is not at the top. And he's got a lot of work to do uh, down the stretch to make up six strokes. Uh, Good luck luck on that. But John Rahm was the huge favorite in Vegas for the tournament. Uh, We'll get some thoughts on how that's played out with Dan Reardon coming up in a few minutes. We'll have John Moselok at 1130. Lou Korak of NHL.com at 1145. We'll get the latest on the Blues. Uh, They had submitted their expansion protected list. And uh, obviously no surprises uh, to me anyway. I mean, based on the reporting that I've seen from JR, JT, uh, from Lou, uh, there's nothing that surprised anybody about it. It's just an interesting situation for the Blues because you know you've got Vlad Tarasenko exposed in part because of the the trade de- the trade demand that he's made. Um, and you know, who knows? I think maybe the best case scenario there could be Seattle takes him and you free up all that cap space because it's gonna be hard to deal that contract and not have to take a cap hit in return, right? You either have to retain money in some of these cases, or you might have to take someone else's big contract that they're not thrilled with. And you know, I'm not sure that those are ideal. It might be ideal just to end up with the money to spend in free agency. Uh, in a year where there aren't that many teams that have a lot of cap space, uh, although Seattle has a ton, <laughs> no matter, depending on how this goes you know, coming up on the 21st, Uh, But an interesting set set of conversations or set of circumstances we can talk about with the Blues coming up later on this hour. Now, the Cardinals getting ready to go up against the Giants this afternoon at Busch Stadium. I mean, it looks like it's going to be a perfect day. I mean, it's going to be in the low 80s, low to mid 80s. Uh, Johnny Cueto starting for the Giants. The Cardinals got to him a little bit last time. Wade LeBlanc is getting the start for the Cardinals. And, you know, LeBlanc struggled a little bit the last time out. Um, and, but before that had been really a helpful, like stabilizing force. And what's going to be interesting to see, not just today, but in the coming days, you know, how things go with the, the starting rotation and, and, you know, where things go, by the way, as you get closer to getting guys back. I mean, we saw the report this, the reports this week and heard from Mike Schilt this week uh, that uh, you, you've had some progress. Miles Michaelis through live BP the other day faced some Cardinals hitters. Uh, that's a good step. and and Mike had mentioned earlier this week that you could see Michaelis out on a rehab assignment later on in the month. Uh, we'll We'll catch up on some of this stuff with John Moselock in about twenty minutes., uh, but Jack Flaherty threw a bullpen. So a couple of guys there that would obviously be really helpful. like the sooner they can get back, the better because right now your top two are going great. I mean, Wayo's doing Wayno's thing. KK K- has been unbelievable. And continues to put up great numbers. And give you great outing after great outing here over the last month or so. And really, not even over the last month or more. Let's be honest. When you know the, you look at these two seasons he's been here. He's been as good as anybody in the rotation. So, need a little bit more help. And hopefully that'll be on the way. And who knows. Maybe there's some help on the way coming up at the trade deadline as well. So, we'll catch up with John Moselock at 1130. Luke Korak from NHL.com at 1145. Coming up next, we'll check in on the Open Championship with KMOX Golf Analyst Dan Reardon here on Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX.
0: There's a high fly ball. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports on a Sunday morning.
1: And it's a gutter. Big by
0: Nolan Arenado. Meyer Jensen, a personal entry law firm because sometimes the gloves have to come off. MeyerJensen.com. And the Philippines win this one. Touchdown,
1: Kansas City. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. All right, back in on sports on a Sunday morning. Kevin Wheeler in for Tom Ackerman this week. Tom is on vacation. He slept in today. Happy for him to get to do that. Uh, And also happy that I get a chance to talk a little bit more sports here on a Sunday morning. We had the Mike Schultz show last hour. We'll be hearing from John Moselock coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk to Lou Korak from NHL.com at 1145. And right now we're going to update you on the Open Championship. Happy to have our own KMOX golf analyst, Dan Reardon, with us here on the show. And first of all, Dan, good to talk to you. I hope you're enjoying it. Have you been getting yourself a lot of middle of the night, early morning golf here the last few days?
3: No, I've, I haven't been the 3 a.m. person. I, you know, I, uh, I'll get the updates on those. But I have watched a considerable amount of golf and all the golf uh, today and most of yesterday as well. And it's been a really entertaining week um, for the Open Championship, largely because it came down to players on the weekend rather than weather.
1: No, that's a really good point. You know, it, normally on a, at, at this time of day on a Sunday, we wouldn't be – kind of analyzing the stretch run, but yet here we are. The, the guys at the top of the leaderboard are basically in the final stretch in the last four, five, six holes of the day. Uh, Colin Morikawa is the leader right now. I know he and Jordan Spieth and, and Louis Oosthuizen; those three are the top three, and you know they're within three strokes of each other right now, Dan. Is that the only group we really should be paying attention to now? The guys that are eight under seem like it's a little too late for them.
3: Yeah, this, this is down to three players and probably probably just the two. You know, Jordan just rolled in a birdie, so he has cut the margin to, to two uh, between him and, and uh, Colin uh, Murakawa. And something going back years ago that Hale Irwin told me, and that was when he won a playoff to win the U.S. Open at Medina, and he was trailing Mike McDonald Mike by three holes on the back nine, and he cut that lead down, three strokes, and he cut that lead down to two. And he told me afterwards, the difference between trailing by two and trailing by three is very mental because you know that you can make up two strokes on one hole right. but if you're three strokes down it's very very difficult the other thing that we have to say though is Colin Mar- Marikawa is going to have to give this back I think even as well as Jordan is playing and the fact of the matter is that through the first three days of this championship Colin Marikawa has had one bogey on the final nine <laughs> so it's unlikely that he's going to give many strokes back to Jordan Jordan's going to have to come and get him
1: you know, obviously uh coming into the tournament, Dan, I know that at least in Vegas, uh, John Rahm was the heavy favorite and for, for good reason. I mean, he's had a tremendous year and all of that. And he's not outside of it. I mean, you know, he, he's you know, he's he's minus eight, so he's I mean, he's six strokes back, but he's not like way down the leaderboard. It's not like it's been a bad tournament for him, just you know, as the as the favorite in Vegas, not the guy at the very top, but I kind of I kind of like that it doesn't go with the the favorite, if you will, because I know there are big names that are at the top. This is not you know Cinderella stories out of nowhere, but I do like the fact that you know we have at least some intrigue on the final day.
3: Well, we have to throw in a couple of other names, and you mentioned Rahm. I think John Rom will probably tell you afterwards that he missed an awful lot of birdie opportunities today on the golf course that he might have climbed a little closer, but actually at 14 under, unless Morikawa comes back uh, down to about 12, he was never going to catch. But we have to also throw in Brooks Koepka, who for a while looked like he was going to be a major factor, shot 65 today. And I'm telling you, 65 was easily the worst score he could have shot because he had two or three birdie opportunities mm. that were very, very makeable along the way. And then, you, you know, you throw in the, the, the sort of the unknowns, the uh, – the Mackenzie Hughes and the Robert McIntyres, and even Dylan Fratelli was in there for a while. But, you know, uh, the battle of these two youngsters, and and keep in mind, Jordan Spieth is still a youngster. Uh, They talk about Morikawa at 24 being such a young player. Uh, I I believe Jordan is only 28 at this point in time, or 27. So the difference in age is is not that great, but it's been a very impressive performance, particularly from the fairway for Morikawa. If you're going to look for where he might struggle coming in, He's not the greatest putter in the world. If you want to look where Jordan could struggle coming in, he tends to sometimes uh, get a little crooked uh, with his irons going into the greens. But you basically have a guy that's going to par in the rest of the way against a guy who's going to play par, who's going to play birdie par the rest of the way in. Um, it, it's going to be entertaining. It's unpredictable how it will turn out. But as I said, the the it factor I think is Morikawa. Has not struggled on this closing nine with only the one bogey.
1: Yeah, in your in your opinion, Dan, how how has this been as far as entertainment value um, in tracking the entire thing from beginning to end? Because obviously we're set up where, as you point out, kind of a two guy race. You know, really unlikely, but you know, Woods Tyson could get in there if if, as you point out, if Morikawa kind of gives a little bit back, he's three strokes back. He could get back in there if if Colin doesn't keep on going. Has this been? Um, I guess you could say, as impactful as you'd like a major tournament to be?
3: I think it's a, a fitting conclusion to a very good year in the majors. You know, Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championship yeah. was unworldly. Uh, John Rahm with birdies on the final two holes at Tory Pines and with the U.S. Open. Very dramatic kind of performance. Uh, again, with ties in the trailer in this situation. And now today, what we have are three tacticians playing for this championship. You know, I, I told Mark Reardon on Friday, <laughs> it shaped up because of the weather forecast where the tactician is going to win this championship or the bombers going to win this championship. Well, as it turns out, the tacticians are going to win this championship. And I think that's good for the game of golf. I think that, you know, this, this notion and, and DeChambeau shot 65 today and give him all the credit for what he has done and, and the attention he has brought to the game because of his length. But the game is, is still always boiled down to playing shots. And we're three, seeing three guys today who have to play shots to win a championship. And that's what golf has always been about. And so when you get four days of this kind of performance, I think it's good for the game. It may not have the headline quality that, that some other players might bring to it, but for the, for the people who play the game and enjoy the game, they are really enjoying this championship.
4: You
1: know, it's interesting and we've talked a lot over the last year, year and a half about DeChambeau. And um, I think you're right. I, I think that the attention that he brings is a good thing, right? I mean, he's, he's the modern athlete in the sport of golf and, you know, It's not as dramatic, I don't think, as the the I don't want to say revolution. That may be too strong, but as the impact that Tiger Woods had when he was young and he was, you know, out driving everybody else, and you know, the courses were too small for him. I don't think it's quite that impact, but it's an interesting storyline. But so far, in the big ones, that performance hasn't matched up with the the impact in terms of attention.
3: And, And I would draw a comparison to the sport that you enjoy. Uh, talking about the most, Kevin, baseball. Baseball has become saber metrics. Baseball has been long ball, okay? And so people like yourself or me maybe wish the game was a little more nuanced had a little more of its old style of play. And golf has trended in that direction where it's, it's, re, it's rewarded the bomb and gouge players. That's what we see ordinarily on the PGA Tour. And, and again, somebody like myself as a traditionalist says, okay, well, that's well and good. But there has to be a place in the game. And keep in mind, if Morikawa wins this, or even Steve, but particularly Morikawa, this is a guy that's not necessarily going to go to the Masters and be a favorite because the course is 400 yards longer than he's accustomed Mm -hmm. to playing and being successful. So I I think that what we have something is a little bit of a restoration of the game because all four of the winners this year in the major championships have had guys who have played their way into the championship Mickelson, who has tremendous length even at his age, got through that final day in Charleston because he knew how to get around the golf course, not because he overpowered the golf course. So I, I keep hitting on the same theme, but I, you know, it, it's like it, it's like seeing a guy hit 40 home runs as opposed to somebody who who hits 320. I like the 320 hitters.
1: (laughs) I like the guy right in the middle. (laughs) I like like the guy that does a little bit of everything, and obviously that's the ideal. But I think you make an interesting comparison with baseball, right? I mean, it's it's, it's what are you sacrificing to get whatever it is you're trying to get. And I think if you were to sacrifice too much distance, that would probably be a problem as well. You want to try to find that middle ground. uh, And I know, though, the people that are pushing the boundaries of what you know things have always been they're always going to get attention I mean it's just you know home run hitters in baseball the guys that throw 100 miles an hour the guys like Bryson DeChambeau this is true in every sport you know in football it would be the guy that you know is the biggest fastest strongest for example and is he really the best right Tom Brady isn't the biggest fastest and strongest but he's the most efficient and I think that's an interesting thing that translates no matter the sport
3: and by the way Kevin we enjoyed for a long run that person in the middle. And his name was Tiger. Woods.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. Actually, he was probably at the high end of all of it, right?
3: That, that's correct. He, he was the best combination of, of finesse and nuance and power at the same time. And as his career has, has winded down, and we hope he makes it back out on the tour, he became more of a mental uh, 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 giant in the game than he was a physical giant in the game. But he was the guy in the middle. He's the guy that was longer than everybody else before these, these monsters came along, and he was the guy that was as accurate from the fairway as anybody else and could hit the dramatic putts. So we enjoyed that period of time. Like I said, now we, we fall into two categories, the bombers and the artists. And right now, today, the artists are winning now.
1: Yeah, it's 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 the uh, – I don't want to say it's a generational battle, Dan, but, I mean, this is really what's happening across sports. Um, with With the more we understand about how things work and how we can make tweaks with – you know, in the, in the case of golf with, you know, how, you can, how far you can hit the ball or what you can do to control it. We see this is happening in hockey. It's happening in the NBA. And it's just, it, it's, it's not generational, I don't think. I think it's informational and how that information gets put to use, but also understanding that balance probably always will end up ruling the day.
3: And, and also keep in mind, Kevin, and this is going to be a fractured kind of comparison, in baseball, the opponent is the pitcher. Right. The pitcher, the pitcher in golf, Is the golf course, and let's give credit to Royal St. George's as a golf course that rewards a different kind of performance, as opposed to what we see week in and week out on tour. The beauty of the old style golf courses, and I'm not just talking about the the um, the, the open courses. I'm talking about Hilton Head. I'm talking about Colonial. I'm talking about places where there's there's still a lot of design built into the characteristics of the competition. Uh, I think that's where we
1: see these players come to the forefront. Dan, thank you so much. Always great to catch up. Enjoy the rest of the round today, and we'll talk again soon. Enjoyed it, Kevin. You got it. That's Dan Reardon, our KMOX golf analyst. And, uh, again, Colin Morikawa right now at 14 under par, minus three for the day. He has a two-stroke lead over Jordan Speeth as they come down the stretch. I mean, Morikawa's got five more holes to play. I think it's four or five more for Speeth. So we'll let you know if anything changes before the end of the show. Coming up next, back to the Cardinals. President of Baseball Operations, John Moselock, next up here on Sports on a Sunday morning on KMOX.
0: There's a high fly ball. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports on a Sunday morning. And it's a gutter. Big fly, Nolan Arenado. Meyer Jensen, a personal entry law firm because sometimes the gloves have to come off. MeyerJensen.com. And the Billikens win this one. Touchdown, Kansas
1: City. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. All right, we got Cardinals baseball coming your way in a little bit. 12-20 for the pregame show and, of course, uh, one fifteen for the first pitch today. Cardinals and Giants. You will have Wade LeBlanc and Johnny Cueto going at it as the starters for today. Obviously, looking forward to the matchup and looking forward to the conversation that we have every Sunday. Well, not we, that Tom has every Sunday with John Moselock. And first of all, Mo, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you. I hope you're having a good morning. Secondly, I'm sorry it's me instead of Tom. I can't do anything about that today. <laughs>
4: Well, welcome. Thanks <laughs> nice to have you. Uh,
1: so, what? How how was the break? I mean, I know you know it's different for everybody. I would imagine the break is a lot different. The All Star break that is a lot different for somebody uh, in the front office than it is for maybe a player that doesn't have to travel to Colorado and all that. So, how was the time?
4: Well, we had the draft this year, yeah. so which was a little unusual um, in terms of timing. But from that perspective, I mean, we were very busy, um, long days, but exciting times. To obviously. Add talent into your uh, system, and from that, you know, from that perspective, it was great. But you know, there is something missed when you don't have that sort of midseason catch your breath, um, maybe take a couple days away from from the office or, or baseball. So weren't we weren't able to do that this year? But um, like I said, it was still uh, time well spent.
1: It's interesting. I, I've heard from a lot of different people, Mo, and I've I've read this a number of places where. Uh, You know, the draft being here has some advantages and disadvantages, and one of the things that I had heard was that it it kind of interrupted maybe some of the conversations that lead up to the deadline because you guys had something else to focus on. Is is that accurate, or has pretty much been business as usual with the draft just thrown into the middle of it all?
4: You know, I could see how that would disrupt um, how some people are are looking at things. You know, candidly, there's probably about, you know, 18 to 20 teams that – are looking to find a way to improve their club, and there's mm-hmm. probably you know pretty clear line of, of about ten that are at a point where they're already starting to think about next year. So, um, you know, depending on where their interests were or, or what they were focused on or who they were speaking with, I still think some of those conversations were happening.
1: Do you think that, that this year, in your in the in the conversations you've had and just your feel for the marketplace? Is this a normal lead up to the deadline? Are we still seeing any impact from, you know, whether it's financial or otherwise from 2020?
4: Feels pretty normal to me, really. Um, And you're starting to see it even start at, you know, probably maybe earlier than than maybe normal. And I think part of that's just because it's, it's, there's a pretty clear line of what people are trying to do. Um, And, and, you know, that's partly because you have, like in the National League, for example, uh, those three teams in the West competing very well, yep. have really strong records. So, you know, there's other clubs that are sort of on the back end of that trying to decide, like, what should they do? But for the most part, I think, you know, dialogue's been pretty pretty active. And so, um, you know, my take on it overall, it's, it's been uh, um, something that's, that's much more defined than maybe some other years. I really uh,
1: like the question that, that the way she phrased it, the way Katie Wu asked you on Friday about your guys' position going into the deadline, whether it's, you know, you, you guys are not typically sellers, that's not a way that you guys go, but she asked the question about whether it's buying versus holding, and, and I wanted to ask you how much what happens in two weeks impacts those kinds, of, those kinds of plans, and we talk about that, right? People on the outside are like, well, if you can... Show the front office that you're ready for a move. Maybe they can you can convince them. How does that play? I mean, is that is that a realistic way to look at things?
4: Not really. I mean, like like, like you know, like we we understand that the way we've played this year hasn't gone as planned, um, and for a variety of reasons, whether it's injuries, performance, um, you know, timing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that go into that on on terms of whether you're having success or not, and you know, as, as we look at, at our club, it's not like we have, like, quote, pieces we want to just break up and, and move on from. Um, most of our, our core players are people that are either signed long-term or guys that we believe in for the future. So, you know, unfortunately, the the, the timing of our injuries coming back coincides with sort of the ending of the trade deadline. <laughs> right. And so it's just, like I said to you earlier, it's, it's a lot of this becomes, you know, about timing. And, and for us, it's it's not ideal. But, you know, you know, whether we agree with it or not, nothing's going to change. And so, you know, if there is something we can do that, that we feel like from an incremental standpoint helps us, we'll look at it. But I don't see us ever being, you know, in that bucket of, oh, fire sale, selling off to, to you know, start building for a longer-term future. I mean, we really feel like, you know, even though we're not winning at the level we wanted to this year, we think it's pretty definable and 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 explainable, and so, you know, we feel like as we look to 2022, which we're not giving up on 2021, but we understand that, you know, there's some things we need to do, but it's not like a complete overhaul.
1: Now, in, uh, would, it, would it be fair to say, Mo, that, you know, if something comes up that, Handles both short and long term deals. Somebody that's got a little bit of control or whatever. Like that's the ideal.
4: Yeah, but almost impossible to find. Yeah, so, I was
1: say, yeah. it's the most valuable thing pump, in the world right now,
4: right? Pump the brakes on that. Thought. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know, obviously that's what every team's trying to do. Right. Um, you know, there, there's no doubt that that there, there are times when you're in a season where a short term help is exactly what you want, but you know, ideally you're you're looking for things that can can be a factor or, or or factor into your future, and that's that's really hard to find.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting too in in just kind of reading the vibes around the big leagues and listening to what's being reported around about um, you know how teams are trying to evaluate players and evaluate minor leaguers that might be not where you thought they would be or maybe ahead of where you thought they would be, but because you didn't have twenty 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 twenty, you've got a little less information. Is that at all something not for necessarily specific to you guys, although maybe uh, but something that is still a part of these conversations, trying to figure out what was missed in 2020 and where all of these prospects actually are.
4: You know, I think the fact that they're playing again and, and, and you know, obviously playing six games a week, and so now you have May, June, and almost all of July under your belt, you you have a pretty good idea of of where people are. So I, I don't think having missed time from that standpoint last year on evaluations is all that um, difficult. I think from a development standpoint there are some players that 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 missed last year mm-hmm. and it has affected them and there's others that have, you know, hit the ground running. And I think really the easiest way to say it is like how did they spend their time? Um, you know, some guys really worked on on trying to improve where they needed to and, and like the one example I'll have there would be like Plummer down yeah. in uh, uh Springfield. I mean here was a guy that was, you know, basically on his last leg prior to the pandemic and then all of a sudden he's just he's right there and and you know reestablishing himself self as a true prospect so you know those are great things to see and then you have other people and i don't have an example of someone that maybe you know was once considered a high level prospect right. is no longer one but those do exist
1: it's interesting i know you mentioned Plummer. I've i've talked about him a couple of times on pregame shows mo and you know, guys that, you know, the developmental process is not always linear, as we all well know. But it's interesting when someone, you know, with him, you know, with all the injuries he had early in his career, but with the profile of a first-round draft pick, you know there's talent there. Guys go in the first round for a reason. Was it was it something specific that he did, or did he just finally get healthy and have a chance to put all that together?
4: You know, I would, I would say that... <laughs> When you say like, was it linear? Like that's what you hope. Right. But I mean his performance was almost linear, but just in a negative way. It just you know, got off to a good start and then just never really built on it or grew from it. And I think, you know, then finding himself in in Palm Beach struggling, just never got himself up and going. And so from that standpoint, I think the break was, you know, critical to his success. And you know, there's there's always a story behind why someone makes it or why someone doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, it just doesn't happen. But, you know, for his case, he was always working hard, but he wasn't getting the, the, the results he was hoping to see. And I think the one great thing that we've seen out of him in, in the last, like, five months from spring training on is just looks like a a little different hitter. His approach has changed, and it's working. Speaking of the
1: the minor league side of things, uh, Matthew Libertor and Nolan Gorman, of course, based on the the outside publications, your top two prospects, uh, both of them uh, at AAA, both of them have earned that right. Of course, Gorman with the great run at AA before getting the promotion, Libertor earned that spot earlier in the year. And it's been an interesting year specifically, Mo, for Libertor because of the Team USA experience, got to go start and looked really good in the Futures game. Obviously, Gorman was there as well. So those guys, I don't know. W- w- I guess it's. I'm, I'm, this may not be the right way to phrase the question, but they seem like they're on the doorstep, but they're also very young. So, how do you weigh the the you know where they are and what that could mean for you guys in the next year, year and a
4: half? Well, I think there's there's no doubt, we, or I should try to hide behind the fact that they they are on the doorstep, and that's a good thing. Right? Um, you know, I think like in Levator's case, you know, all the little things he got to experience this summer so far, from the Olympic trials to Starting the, the futures game, as you mentioned, both are just great for him and, and his, his growth. And when you're a young man and, and you're trying to, to grow as a player and, and, and try to do this at a fast rate, especially at a young age, it's really helpful to, to get these experiences. And, you know, Gorman, on the other hand, um, obviously was having a lot of success at A. gets promoted to AAA, uh, been a little bit of a slow start for him. But given the fact that these guys are both young, you know, we really feel it's a great benefit to to them both. So excited with what they're doing, and um, you know, but want to caution our listeners that we have to be patient with their development because what we don't want to have happen is maybe I'll use like Oviedo as an example where mm-hmm. you're where you're putting someone up in the big leagues and you're forcing them to learn here, and that can be very difficult.
1: Just talked about that him specifically with Mike Schilt a little bit ago, Mo. That you know, he's a guy that clearly has all the tools and clearly has the talent to be outstanding. But obviously, the timeline got rushed a bit last year, and again, injuries, weirdness. You know, this year, I mean, he clearly belongs as a major leaguer, but he's also developing as he's trying to win games against the
4: best competition in the world. Right, and that's not an easy task. You know, one thing I, I would say, if if I could like have like one thing for him to just always have in the in the back of his mind as he's going, when he works quick, when he has pace to his his game he, he tends to, to, to be in a much better place when when he almost like slows down physically not mentally but physically it's it's like almost things start to speed up on him mentally and so there's that fine line between you know catching your breath and and but there and also attacking but I, I think when he's aggressive and moving he'll be just fine but to your, to you know, to nail your point, yes, it, it's a tough place to uh, to hone your your skills at this level at his age. All right, last thing, Mo, uh,
1: quickly just on, on the offense here because you know it's it's been interesting to try to pin it down because there are a lot of guys that are swinging the bat well. I mean, I don't know that we could have expected more from Tyler O'Neill offensively. Goldie's been going in the right direction. Um, you know, haven't seen a lot of Bader because of injuries. Is is there any kind of key, like is it about just trying to get the same lineup out there for a while and get them all going at the same time? Because I know it's been a little bit like whack-a-mole. You get one guy back, and another guy goes, or one guy gets hot, another guy cools down. Is it just that? Just hope everybody gets going at once?
4: Uh, I don't mind tinkering with lineups. But, yeah, I mean, obviously you you want your starting eight to to be, you know, productive. And I think, you know, the, the, the one frustration with some of the things we're seeing is it's just not – been consistent and you know it's it's anyway that's been around baseball you could you can explain all of these different reasons why um but but ultimately it's, it's guys feeling comfortable and, and to your point like on a on a goldschmidt yeah it's nice to see him you know swinging the bat right out of the gate because it really seems like we really haven't had like sort of you know two or three hitters hot in our lineup at any one time since sometime in april so um, you know, getting some guys moving, um, Goldie, other. I mean, they're definitely the type of guys that can carry a team on their back if, if things are going well. So, you know, hopefully um, we can get a few guys hot, string some runs together, and more importantly, string some wins together.
1: Uh, knock on wood here. I don't have any wood, so I'll just knock on my head. Uh, appreciate you doing this as always, <laughs> Mo. Enjoy the game today. Good luck to you. We'll talk to you soon. That sounds great. Thank you. You got Bye-bye. it. John Mosellock, uh with his weekly appearance here on Sports on a Sunday morning. We'll update you on the latest with the NHL expansion draft, how it plays into the Blues, what's going on with Laddie Tarasenko. All of that next up with Luke Korak from NHL.com here on KMOX.
0: There's a high fly ball. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports on a Sunday morning.
1: And it's a gutter. Big fly,
0: Nolan. Meyer Jensen, a personal injury law firm, because sometimes the gloves have to come off. MeyerJensen.com. And the Philippines win
2: this
1: one. Touchdown, Kansas City.
0: On America's Sports
1: Voice, KMOX. Hi, backing on sports on a Sunday morning. Kevin Wheeler in for Tom Ackerman talking a little hockey here. It's been a busy show. Happy to have Lou Korak from NHL.com with us. You can find Lou on Twitter at LKorak Ten. First of all, Lou, good morning, man. Thanks for jumping on. How's it going today?
2: Wheels, how are you, man? I'm a little disappointed. I was hoping to talk baseball. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if I have time at the end, we'll slip in a little baseball. I got you. <laughs> all good. Yeah, obviously some news today. Uh, the protected lists for all NHL teams have been submitted and published for the public. Uh, I don't know, Lou, if there's anything super surprising about what the Blues chose to do in protecting Barbashev, Cairo, O'Reilly, Perron, Shen, Sunquist, Thomas, Falk, Krug, Pareko and Bennington. I don't know if there's anything surprising there, but there is a lot of interesting in Vlad Tarasenko not being one of those guys. A lot of interesting in in uh Dunn not being one of those guys. What do you make of what we found out today?
2: Well, with with Vince Dunn, I don't think it's much of a surprise because you know, you you kind of had this uh feeling that the Blues were going to go 7-3 and 1, which right, seven forwards, three defensemen, one goalie and You know, when you've got Pareko, Falk, and uh, Torrey Krug there, (laughs) that's, you know, three's company, but, uh, you know, you had to keep three guys there, so, and those are the three that were pretty obvious choices, and, you know, with Vince Dunn still being a young guy and, you know, a potential RFA here, you kind of had a feeling they were going to go in this direction. Obviously, they were looking to see if there were any trade feelers out there, Uh, didn't quite get to that point, so... I think they're okay if they have to lose him, which I would anticipate he would be the guy that Seattle selects. Now we don't know that for sure, but you know, who would have thought this uh, wheels uh, even six months ago that you'd see Tara and Schwartz on this list? You know, I mean, you never would have imagined this, but with everything that's come out here recently uh, I think this relationship sounds like it's been broken and uh, you know, it's not for lack of trying and, Who knows? I mean, if Seattle doesn't pick Tarasenko, he's still uh, on this team. And Doug Armstrong will explore trades, Uh, will continue to explore trades for him. But uh, this is where we're at right now, and uh, he feels comfortable with the guys he's got on that list. And uh, Tarasenko, if Seattle wants him, uh, they're going to have to take the full $15 million he has remaining and $7.5 million cap hit. Go for it if that's the direction they want to go in.
1: Yeah, you know, the trade. I've had a lot of people ask me, Lou, that, you know, why can't you get something for him or why would you leave him unprotected and maybe lose him for nothing? And I would argue that if he gets picked in this, it's not losing him for nothing. You're freeing up $7.5 million of cap space, which is significant yep. in this kind of an offseason, really in any offseason. But also, it's also tough to see a deal happening with him, Lou, where the other team absorbs all of that money without sending you back a contract that they don't want.
2: Yeah, this is complex. It really is, and I mean, and I know there have been a couple of the, the people that have reported that you know there's some teams out there that are willing to accept you know Teresinko's full salary there and 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 full hit. They were comfortable with, uh, you know, the medical reports that the Blues uh, had uh, were asked to present. Uh, But you're still taking a chance. I don't I don't care what anybody says here. You're talking about three shoulder surgeries, Mm -hmm. and I know he insisted that he's over those, but you know, you can't overlook this. I mean, the, the, you know, this is, this is serious stuff. I keep telling everybody this isn't just a flesh wound we're talking about here. You know, this is pretty serious business. And I mean, is he ever going to get back to what he was before? I mean, yeah, you know, there's always that possibility. He's only 29 years old, but that's a big risk and that's a big if here. So, but yeah, like you mentioned, it frees up a lot of cap space and, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier this week, when I tweeted out that the Blues are going to go after, uh, should he hit the open market, Gabriel Landeskog. He's one of their top targets, mm. and uh, they're going to they're going to be a big player on this guy should he hit the open market. So, yeah, and 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 if you free up Tarasenko's cap hit here, um, I'm telling you, there, there's other fish out there that that this team is going to explore and take a hard run at. So there's going to be a completely different makeup of this team moving forward. And uh, we still don't know what's going to happen with Jaden Schwartz. So a lot of questions remain out there. Well,
1: let's close on him, Lou, because I think he's an interesting case. I mean, it's clear he's unprotected because he's a UFA. I mean, you're not – You know, you're not really taking a huge risk there. I mean, you don't have him signed to a deal. So, you know, if you're going to protect somebody that you might lose anyway, that doesn't make any sense when you could lose someone else. But clearly there may be a transition with some of the core, right? I mean, obviously Vlad wants out, probably going to be gone. Schwartz could be gone. I know Mike Hoffman was only there for a year. Uh, But as you mentioned, Landis would be a really great target for the front end of the the forward rotation. And I'm just curious at how much they think they need to have – just a little bit of change, right? So, you know, John Mozaylock likes to has has talked about in the past a little churn in the locker room in the clubhouse, and I wonder if that might be helpful going into next year.
2: Well, as far as Schwartz is concerned, uh, I don't think we're going to close the book on this just yet because you see a lot of uh, potential UFAs that are on this list, Kevin. And uh, I'm telling you, it, it's one of those where um, I think the teams are willing to expose these guys because from Seattle's perspective, there's a risk there. That doesn't mean that these guys are going to, you know, they're going to be available to you, but that doesn't mean that they're going to come to you. Once July 28th comes, these guys are free to go wherever they want. So if Seattle wants to pick Jaden Schwartz, uh, I think the blues would be happy with that because he can turn around and flip himself right back to (laughs) St. Louis. Once the once the open market comes. So, you know, it's not just that in his case, but no, I agree with you. I mean, there's going to be a little bit of a changing of the guard here. You know, if you, you know, you lose a Tarasenko, if you lose a Schwartz, I mean, these are, these are longevity guys that have been around here a long time yep. and guys that have had a voice in that room. So yeah, if, if, if you wind up losing both of those guys, there's going to be a, a difference in this room as far as leaders voices. But I mean, and hypothetically, if you bring in a guy like a Gabriel Landeskog, Guy's been a captain in Colorado, so I don't think you're going to be able to, you're going to be losing a lot of voice there, and you're going to be losing a lot of leadership, and not just him, but you know how Doug Armstrong works. He he brings, He tends to bring in guys that have character, guys that have been known to have character. So uh, it, it's really interesting, though, because think about it, you know, what this core looked like two years ago when they won a cup to potentially what they could look like. Man, this is going to be some some drastic changes come for come for the Blues in
1: 2021-22. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. Lou, thanks so much, buddy. We appreciate you jumping on, especially last-minute notice. Uh, enjoy whatever comes here in the next couple of days, and then after the expansion draft, we'll dive into free agency and all that. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Wheels. Thanks for having me, man. Take care. You got it. Lou Korak from NHL.com. And, yeah, I mean, you know, Petro's already gone. You know, I mean, it could be Schwartz and Tarasenko now. It's, I mean, it's how sports work. But you've got a different core, right? I mean, look, this is this is a Ryan O'Reilly team, and then you've got the young guys like Kyrou and Thomas, uh, and obviously Braden Shen is around now too. I mean, it's it's a different group, and maybe gets more different over the next month or so once we get past the expansion draft. Hey, many thanks to everybody for jumping on today. It was a jam-packed show. Great stuff with Mike Schilt and John Moselock. Thanks to Lou uh, for jumping on as well. Dan Reardon gave us the update on what's going on with the Open Championship. Colin, Colin Morikawa, by the way, still leading through 14 holes in today's final round. I want you guys to stick around. We got Cardinals baseball coming your way in just a few minutes. 12-20, uh, the pregame show gets started. one for the first pitch. Wade LeBlanc and Johnny Cueto right here on your home for the Cardinals KMOX.